And so for today, since you didn't stand to sing, because you do sing better when you stand, let's stand for the hearing of the Word of God as the Lord our God consecrates us. New Covenant reading, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. This is the text in the New Testament that is the, that is the, the, it is the fullest statement. It isn't particularly full, but it's a fullest statement of what's going to happen when Christ returns. Okay? But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters as well, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be, very powerful word here, caught up together with them in the clouds. Again, a very powerful word, to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And Romans 8, verses 18 to 25, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. Actually, it's in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The grass withers and the flowers fade away, but the word of our God stands forever, through which you say, Hallelujah, and thanks be to God. Okay, you want to turn your bulletins to page 5. And I do want to be especially sensitive to time today, uh, despite the magnitude of what we're, what we're dealing with. I was telling Margaret last night, I, um, it seems like everything we do here is intense. Uh, even Scott Lee had commented on this when he preached a few weeks ago. He said, I've never had such, such intensity in, in a worship service, in a Sunday school. And, and uh, uh, folks, the Christian life is intense, right? Because it's about a very intense God. Okay, um, but it, it, you realize it's three months today 
since we had our first worship service in this building. It was September 11th, and this is December 11th. It's hard to believe. And so for most of those three months, we have been working through this series of what will be today 10 messages, I believe, called Here We Stand. And, and it's, it's kind of a way of, of uh, letting others know as they listen to this, and people are live streaming or hearing us on sermonaudio.com or reminding each of you and our visitors, what, what, you know, what's the haven all about? What is it? What does it stand for as a church? And so there's, a, there's an order in all of this. In the beginning, God, right? And so we began to deal with, with uh, God and who he is, although you're always dealing with that. And then the way we know God is through the word of God. And the word of God supremely tells us about the Lord Jesus who came to save us from our sins. And we began to deal with those packages of things that we call salvation by grace. We are justified. We're declared righteous by faith alone in Christ alone. We're adopted. We become his children. We enjoy the glorious liberty of the children of God. But it's not liberty to sin. It's liberty to be what we ought to be. And that being what we ought to be is, is really comprised in, in those two words that are the marks of the Christian holiness and love. And so we looked in that, in that package that we have in Christ, and we do have these things in Christ, that is salvation. And then we dealt with what is not often dealt with today, the church. Because you can't separate the salvation of individuals from the church. Uh, the Lord Jesus is king and head of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We gave some snapshots of the church as people would see it as an organization and what it is before God. And then uh, last week, the mission of the church. The mission of the church is the Great Commission. So that brings us to the end of the series. And therefore, we're dealing today with the end which is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verses 13 through 18. Technically, remember, there's no chapter divisions uh, in, in the uh, Hebrew and in Greek uh, Old Testament, New Testament. So really, this goes in chapter 5 to verse 11. But for our purposes today, I just want to give you an overview of 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. And then just a very quick look at Romans 8, 18 to 25, I did do a whole series on, on heaven uh, and, and new heavens and the new earth some time back. It's still sobering to me. Uh, last Sunday was John, would have been John Preston's birthday, and it was John's desire that, that I preach on heaven. And it wasn't long after that series was done that the Lord took him home to glory. So I won't repeat all that. I'll just give you some highlights of that series. However, at the third point... I want to bring all of this together, not, not just the end and not just the beginning, but the whole series in your whole Christian life in a remarkable way with a phrase, the Apostle Paul catches what your whole Christian life is about. And, so we, and that's really where I want to put the focus today. So really, it's the end and the beginning and everything, if you want to call it that. So let's, let's look at the end, first of all, which is in 1 Thessalonians 4. And, and this is the issue that the, the Thessalonica is in the northern part of Greece, not far from where Philippi was. Corinth is in the southern part. So this was one of the earlier ministries that the Apostle Paul had in a pagan area, and God did a wonderful work among the Thessalonians. You read 1 Thessalonians 1, and there's this beautiful picture of how they, they turned to God from idols, 
which is an amazing thing for pagan Greeks, and they became servants of the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven. And so, as with us, so with the Thessalonians, the whole theme of the return of Christ was big. Now, we're probably the late 40s A.D., maybe early 50s. The book was written rather early. And the Thessalonians are watching some of their brothers and sisters in Christ die, quote-unquote, and they're saying, well, wait a minute. Um, we're supposed to be waiting for the return of Christ, um, and they died before Christ's return. Essentially, they're kind of saying, have they missed something? What's going on here? And that's the, that's the background for the Apostle Paul writing to them. He says, but we don't want you to be ignorant, brothers. We, 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 we want you to know the answer to your question. And it's wonderful how the Word of God really does answer some of these great mysteries that we have in our Christian lives, not exhaustively, but sufficiently. So he says, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who are asleep. And brothers and sisters, technically, the, the phrase is sleep in Christ. I don't know that it's really accurate to say that when a Christian's soul is separated from his or her body, they've died. Jesus said, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Technically, you die in Christ. You die through faith in him, by grace through faith in him. You're united with him in his death. And because he died and conquered death, you don't die. So I don't want to be too picky, because this is Orthodox Presbyterians, right? We are, but, but really, folks, this is the language that is more accurate. You're looking at a, be- a believer who's in a casket, and you ask the question, you know, what's going on here? They are, that body is sleeping. And, and for our practical purposes, that's what it is. Isn't it interesting that God prepares us normally for death every single day? You go to sleep. And there comes a point where, I don't know, whatever precedes it or whatever, you fall asleep and you are unconscious to the world. So that's, that's what sleep is. And even pagans would use this language too. Now Paul's going to go on and point out the difference because he says that you, that you may grieve, and it is right to grieve, as others do who have no hope. I want that to stick in each of you. It was interesting distributing the door knockers yesterday. I so appreciate the work Anthony did and Joe and others who helped out with us. And it was really quite an experience. These, these are big houses here. These are, are wealthy people. And part of me said, Lord, hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. But there are neighbors. This is where God's put us. Outside of Christ, these people with big, fancy houses are hopeless. Because as you've learned, there's no, there's no moving vans connected to hearses. Amen. And so Paul, writing under the inspiration of God, is very honest here. You grieve, we do, but not as those who have no hope. Let me give you an illustration of what hopelessness is. And, and I read this because it's, it was a sympathy letter written by a pagan to a person who'd lost a loved one. 
And he is commenting to her about the death of what I assume was either a child or her husband. Now notice how, how Paul ends this, therefore encourage or comfort one another with these words. This is what this pagan writer wrote to the woman who was grieving. Against such things, death, one can do nothing. Therefore, comfort one another. I don't know about you, but I don't find that very comforting, quite frankly. But that's the best that the best of pagans can offer. Because outside of Christ, do not say death is the end. It isn't. Outside of Christ, eternal hell is the end. To our perspective here, looking at the earth, once, once a person dies and is in a casket, there's no hope if, you're, if you have nothing to ground hope in. Okay? Now, that's why Paul goes on to say this. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, it's not the fact that we believe it, we do, but Jesus died and rose again. It's an historical fact. Even so, through Jesus, and I want you to note this is the last time in this section Paul will simply speak of Jesus, which is a reference to his humanity. And why is that important? Brothers and sisters, the great elephant in the room of human history, which is why giving the gospel out is so important. Whether people believe it or not, it's Jesus Christ. He really did come in history. That's what Christmas is about. He really did die on the cross. That's what Good Friday's about. He really did rise from the dead. That's what Easter's about. What do you do with that? You can try to reason it away. Boy, you would have a, a very, very minute ability to even try to make as myth what history and books and oral testimony has clearly declared as fact. Christ died and rose, but he did it as Jesus. What does that mean? He's a man. You will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And when he died and when he rose, he did it as the architect and accomplisher of the great rescue mission delivering you from sins. Now, this is the last time in this section Paul's going to use Jesus. He's going to start referring to him in a different way as he goes on. But he says, But even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Okay, same language that he used before. Well, how's he going to do that? For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. This is not something Jesus spoke of specifically in his earthly ministry. This is something the Holy Spirit gave to the Apostle Paul as he did words about uh, divorce and remarriage. Uh, but the Holy Spirit gave this kind of a supplement, if you will, to what Jesus taught. But notice we declare to you by a word from the Lord. And you want to highlight that. Because from this point on, the Apostle Paul is making the point that death 
is not the Lord. Hopelessness is not the Lord. The devil is not the Lord. You'll see how he does that in just a little bit. The devil is not the Lord. Jesus is the Lord. And whatever the Lord Jesus Christ worked to accomplish, he will do it. So that's very critical. He is the Lord. That we who are alive, who are left until the parousia, the, the, term, the term for the physical coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Now, we pray, Lord Jesus, come by the Holy Spirit when we are gathered together. Wherever two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst of them. We take that seriously. How does he do that? By the Holy Spirit. That's not what's in view here. All of these preliminary, if you will, comings of the Lord Jesus by the Holy Spirit to indwell his people in the means of grace as he does with us every week, those, those are the little tremors of the coming of the Lord Jesus in bodily form at the last day. This same Jesus that you have seen go up into heaven, and he went up in bodily form, interestingly, into the clouds, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go up into heaven, which means it'll be a bodily return. Okay, so, so this is the language Paul uses here for the coming of the Lord. Will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Now, what's he getting at here? Well, when Jesus comes back, there's going to be a multitude that no man can number of people who have died in Christ. Christians who have been united with him by grace through faith. They've been in the caskets. They've been in the ground. And for multitudes of them, they're simply dust at that point. And he says, you, who are not necessarily that Christ is going to come then, but whoever is going to be alive on the earth in Christ, there's something that's going to happen to them second. Remember, he's answering the, the issue of the Thessalonians. Yeah, well, have the, have the Christians who've died, are they missing something? And Paul says, oh, no, no, not at all. They haven't missed anything. In fact, the Lord himself will descend from heaven and notice the language, with a cry of command. Jesus, folks, is the king. And this is the language of a military commander who is able to command all of his troops to do exactly what he says. Not only that, with the voice of an archangel, the archangels were the highest of the angels, they had the highest orders given by God himself for what they did in the world, and it's as if, whether that's Michael or whoever it is, as the archangel says, with Christ's command, everyone else be still. It is what the king of kings says that will be done, and that's not enough. There's also the sound of a trumpet. Trumpets were used to declare something festive in the Old Testament, or more often, it was a declaration of victory. The sound of the trumpet was, the war is done. And so there's all of this as backdrop for, notice again, the Lord himself descending from heaven with the cry of this great military commander, accompanied by the voice of an archangel telling all else to be subservient to this coming, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And then what happens? Well, this is why those who died in Christ aren't going to miss anything. When that happens, and I don't know whether I want to be alive when it happens and see it, or be in the grave and know what happens, but whatever. Actually, Paul says that, 
That is the great blessedness. Think about this. And it's hard to think about our own death in Christ. Your soul is separated from your body. Your ticker stops. You are, as far as the world regards it, dead. You can say they pass, you're dead. Body in the casket. And it doesn't make any difference whether they seal the casket or not, whether, whether you, are, whether you are, are treated with chemicals or not. You go in that ground, and it doesn't take too many years before there is real decay of the body, and it doesn't take many decades before you're dust and I'm dust. But the Lord made man of the dust of the ground. And this Lord is going to show that he can do that by doing it with his people. And so what will happen to the dead who've died in Christ? The dead in Christ will rise first and there's language of, of, of what that is. When he says we will be caught up, then we together will be caught up together with them in the cloud. It's the language, all I can think of is the language of a massive electromagnet uh, that has power to pull planets. And the Lord's power as the great electromagnet, the first thing he does is he gathers this dust of all of his people. Now, there is a general resurrection. That's not what he's dealing with here. At this point, he's dealing with what about Christians, okay? He gathers the Christians together and puts that dust back together so that whether it's Iris or Keith or Bill or Joe or Will, that is the body that's made once again, okay, from the dust of the earth. And so that's, again, the language of catching up is the, and all the language, not only of command, but the language of power. But the dead in Christ will rise first. Yeah, there will be a, a resurrection of those not in Christ too, but that's not what he's dealing with here. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be, and here's that language, that, that massive electromagnet takes up in what is sometimes called a rapture here, catches them up together in the clouds, right? Where Jesus ascended into the clouds. We are ascended up to be with him, and that's always the language of the rain over the earth, the rain on the clouds, to meet the Lord. It's the language of a royal reception. You have the privilege of meeting the king and queen of England. That's a meeting. It's a royal meeting, and you have this Royal meeting with the one who's just called the world, the world to stop and the dead in Christ to rise first to meet the Lord in the air. Now, when Paul writes about the air, he's not talking about 35,000 feet up and the decrease in oxygen level. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. And this is a statement to these people who knew as our culture is increasingly knowing the power of the evil one. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul will even speak about the peculiar power of the devil in that area. And he says, not essentially don't worry. 
But you're going to triumph over that devil. You will be with Jesus in the air over that one whose fangs were taken out by the cross. All right, meet the Lord. And so we will always be with the Lord. And therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, brothers and sisters, and I don't want to get into a big discussion about eschatology in the last bit, but with all due respect, I don't really see a rapture of the saints that comes seven years before a great tribulation period and then the saints come back with Jesus and all that stuff. You just really don't find that taught in the scriptures unless you come with a preconceived idea. Uh, This is a picture of the last day of human history. The Lord comes. The Lord takes up those who are still on the earth, who are his people. And then, but first of all, he does that miraculous work of, of, of a real repetition of Genesis chapter 1 and what is not just the end of the world, but the beginning of a new world. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. It doesn't speak of coming back to the earth or whatever. So just at least for my mind, dealing with the text, that, that's sufficient for what's said. And therefore comfort one another with these words. How can you do that? The key is not we believe that Jesus died and rose again. We believe Mm -hmm. Jesus died and rose again. And because he rose again, coupled with death, those in him will rise again as well. Comfort one another with these. Isn't that great? You know, when you talk to our culture however you personify that, you can say, you know, you know I, pr- I thank the Lord for the privilege that I can be honest about my own life in human history. Go, well, what do you mean by that? I say, I've got to be honest. I'm getting older. And if the Lord Jesus doesn't come back in my lifetime, I'm going to die. But I know that I'll rise again with him. Well, how do you know that? Tell them about Jesus. <laughs> okay, Jesus died and rose again. Okay, and, and so, so anyway, that's the kind of the basic line of the end. Okay, now what about the beginning? And this I'm going to do very briefly because we did a whole series on death and heaven and so forth. Just reading Romans 8 and verses 18 to 25. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. So we're going from a world, an age of suffering. My, we've learned so much about that. To glory in which there's nothing, there's no clouds of suffering that take away from the glow of perfection and eternity. Because the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself, what you see around us, will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And that always brings up a big question. Is God going to wipe out this world at the end and then create a new one? I don't think so. Um, this language, it would sound like that. Jesus calls it a regeneration. When God's people, when, when the Lord comes back and his people are with him, God changes this world he purifies it to be sure something far that the flood even could not do but he purifies it and makes it literally a whole new world that we know of as new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells and its mark is even as in glory we are perfectly free no more 
not even remaining indwelling sin to deal with. So the creation can, as it were, breathe a sigh of relief. No more hurricanes, no more tornadoes, no any blizzards, no more death, no more, no more ripping of the earth open to put in a dead body. It's all done. It's all past. Okay? So the creation in its own way is waiting for that. And not only the creation, uh, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. We're adopted now in Christ. But that's not as powerful as it were. As in glory... I don't know how we'll behold the Father because he's eternal spirit. But in the Son, you will have the declaration that for all eternity, you are nothing less than a child of God, a son of God, who has inherited all of that new heavens and new earth because of the death of Christ. And that's, it's the fullness of this that we have by grace. The redemption of our bodies. Not just in my soul am I saying, God is my Father. My whole body will resonate with the fact that God is my Father. Now when he says in this hope we're saved, we're saved by grace through faith, but this is the atmosphere in which we live. Not maybe this will happen, but a, a sure hope, a sure conviction, this is going to come about. Now if you could see it, it's not hope. Hope for what he sees, pretty obvious, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with Patience. Long-suffering is with people. I really have a difficult time dealing with my co-worker. Excuse me, how do you think God feels, quote-unquote, about dealing with you? <laughs> we can test it with all things. That's long-suffering, account the long-suffering of God's salvation. This is the more common word for the patience that we need every day. My body's getting older and in pain. I get news of a terminal illness for a dear friend. I get news of the passing out of my aging father-in-law. I get COVID-19. I have economic difficulties. My IRA is not what it was before. I deal with a political situation that vexes me more than I want to admit. And on and on and on and on and on. And the way you do it, folks, deal with it, is not hoping that somehow there's going to be a utopian change around us. There isn't going to be. Man is born for adversity as the sparks fly upward. But one day Jesus is going to come back. Hallelujah. And one day he'll make every single thing brand new. Okay. So, so, and that's, that's the beginning. Okay, that's just the very beginning of things. And let me take, in the few minutes that we have left, let me talk about what unites them both and everything. And incidentally, when you think of the, you know, I, I try to think of how to communicate this. Imagine, uh, imagine this is waiting for something with patience. Imagine you have a, a, an illness that racks your body with pain. And it, 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 you, you can't, you're discomfited. You can't even think clearly about things. You can't move. But you know for sure there is a treatment that you will be able to get at a certain point. And it will not only take away the pain, 
you'll feel like a young person again. But you know for sure it will do that. That's a hope, right? Well, you'll wait with patience if you know that. And, and that's the same thing with us here. Okay, you wait for it with patience. All right, anyway, let me, let me get to the final point here. Okay, the, that, that what unites them both in everything. And it's a little phrase in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 17, the last part. We'll meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. And it was actually a, almost kind of an incidental point uh, that Charles Spurgeon made when he was looking at this text. It really, really got me thinking about this. And he's right. What's the Christian life? It's being with the Lord. And the word that's used here is not the word for being kind of alongside of someone, which is the Greek word meta, but it's the Greek word soon, which means there is an intimate union of yourself with Christ. And you know that when we say, what is the Christian faith? It's believe in Jesus. It's be married to him. It's to be united to him by grace through faith, even as you're united to your spouse. This is a great mystery, marriage. But I'm speaking of Christ and the church, right? So that's the idea of being in or being in, in, is it with the Lord. Folks, that's everything about your Christian life. Always with the Lord is a description not just of after Christ comes back. It's a description of even what happened before the world was made. You are chosen in Christ. When God, however he did this electing work of his own own will, chose a body of people to be his. He didn't just do it and say, well, these, these are my elect. He had already decreed, as it were, to glorify his own son to deliver his people from sin and death. And he chooses them, Paul says, in Christ. They are, as it were, in eternity, put on the belt of the Lord Jesus Christ so that as the great warrior, he will always be having them with him. And you've got to see your Christian life beginning that way. And Paul doesn't talk about being chosen in Christ from the foundation of the world, so we argue about election. He says that because it's the very beginning of always being with the Lord. Okay? Then Christ comes into the world, and it is amazing how, as you read the Gospels, Christ's life parallels what the Christian life is. Now, obviously, there's a lot of things different. We don't do miracles as Jesus did. We don't walk on water the way Jesus did, which is a miracle. I'm not saying that. But in terms of what Christ experienced in life, it's a mirror of the Christian life. This is why... If you want something that will revolutionize your whole view of your Christian life, get a Trinity Psalter hymnal. They're finally back in print. Um, But Trinity Psalter hymnal, sing the Psalms. You can get the app with the tune. And remember, they're all about Jesus. But they're not only all about Jesus. If you are in Christ from the foundation of the world, they're about you. And that's especially the case when you come to the Psalms' confession of sin. Jesus never sinned, to be sure. We do. 
But sin was imputed to Jesus. And though he was never a sinner, he felt in his own God-man person the depths of the wrath of God against sin we never will. And so you sing the Psalms in Christ, but you sing them, you sing them knowing they're Christ, but you sing them as those who are in Christ. Well, that's just a kind of a throwaway comment. Christ comes into the world. Parallel with us. What is, what is formed in him is of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that true of you? That's what it is to be born again. That's why the Lord Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. The Spirit does his work. Because even, even as Christ was formed by the Holy Spirit in the mother's womb, so God, even, even working in us before we're born again, a will by the Holy Spirit work. The writer of Hebrews uses that language as he speaks of the means of grace. And isn't it interesting? I'm fascinated with this. God converts people. You can resonate with this with your experience. And not long after you're converted, boy, the opposition begins to come because something happened to him. He's a Christian. Isn't it interesting that right at the time of Jesus' death, you have the opposition of Herod to the Lord Jesus, a picture of the opposition he'll get in his entire life. Our Lord grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man, even as, as we do in our Christian lives. It's the language of growth and grace. It's, it's even fascinating that Jesus, Jesus confounds the elders as a man full of the Holy Spirit in the temple, reasoning with them. And brothers and sisters, this is for a whole other day. Perhaps Brother Will can deal with this at some point with the group. It's amazing how the Word of God confounds the world. It's been interesting watching the intelligent design movement. And I have some reservations about that. But, but as far as it goes, it's great. Evolutionists do not know what to deal with it. They, they you take the simple but profound view. No, <laughs> the, what we see today is not evolved from simple things. There is no simple thing. DNA isn't simple. In fact, the more you understand DNA and RNA, the more complex it gets. And as Jesus confounded the teaching of the religious leaders, listen carefully. So Christians are confounding the wisdom of those who practice the religion of scientism. That science can answer everything. It's fascinating, fascinating. Jesus is tested by the devil. As you're tested by the devil and you respond by the word of God. Jesus meets all kinds of people and he shows them compassion and speaks the truth. And in that gathering together of all of these, this cluster of dealings of Jesus with Samaritan women and with the Pharisees and with, and with, with others that he meets, Gentiles as well as Jews. Wow, it's a picture of the, all the different types of people we deal with in the world. Jesus comes to Gethsemane, and be honest, he prays what you pray. You're not facing the cross, but we do bear the cross. Mm -hmm. Father, if you're willing, 
Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And no, it's not the same circumstances as Christ prayed that. But it's the same heart concern. Jesus bears the cross. And Jesus says, unless you bear my cross daily, you cannot be my disciple. It is the, you know what the cross is? The cross is paying the price of obedience no matter what the cost. That's the cross. He dies. And the devil assaults him. You die in Christ, and there will be assaults of the devil. Jesus disarmed the devil, and you share in that as well. He has no power over me, the writer can say. And he's raised from the dead, as you will be raised from the dead at the last day. Now, spiritually, we are raised from the dead. But thinking of these, these events in history, you'll be raised from the dead too. Why? Why is it? With Jesus, with Jesus, with Jesus. Yes, we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places now by the Holy Spirit, to be sure. One day you will ascend too. Thus, you will take us up to the clouds as he did with Jesus. And thus we will ever be with the Lord. Is that your Christian life? Is your Christian life, and I, parts of the hymn in the garden kind of turn me off, but this one I like. He walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I'm his own. Is that your Christian life? Sometimes, folks, you've got to get over all the verbiage, all the, 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 the verbal gymnastics. The Christian life is marriage to Jesus. And it's walking with him, talking with him, being with him, even as he is with you. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. The whole, from election right through the resurrection, and it's true for all eternity. We will always be with the Lord. It has to be, folks. It has to be. Jesus is the shepherd. And you're his sheep. And he doesn't lose one of them. It must be that you will be with the Lord. Jesus is the king. And he has subjects. And he's not going to lose one of them. In Christ, you're one of those subjects. Jesus is the great foundation. And that foundation is the foundation for a perfect temple in which every stone was chosen and polished perfectly by grace. It's united with Christ, the foundation. And there's not going to be one stone that's missing. It must be that. Jesus is our brother. Jesus has brethren. And he says not one of them is going to be lost. Here am I and the children that you have given me. It must be that way, folks. And you can go on. and He's a bridegroom. And there's not a member of his bride who's not going to be there. When Isaiah says he will see of the travail of his soul and be satisfied... Folks, the Bible doesn't teach that Jesus died 
for every single man, woman, boy, and girl, many of whom are going to be in hell. The whole concept is obnoxious. He gave his life for his sheep. He loved the church and gave himself for it. And not one of those for whom he died will be lost. It must be that you will be with the Lord in glory with a fulfillment of all that's meant by what you're called now, sheep and soldiers and brethren and foundation as living souls. You got the point. It's got to be. It must be. And this is what it will be. A lot of things you can think of. But for me anyway, and I'm sure for you too, I love the fact I'm not going to struggle with sin anymore. And, and again, as I mentioned last week, this is why I don't ever say we need to go back to Eden. Excuse me, please. Adam and Eve had the possibility of falling at every moment. I won't go back to that. <laughs> it's bad enough. Okay. In glory, no more possibility of falling. That's glorious. Isn't that wonderful? And, and, and this, to me, the older I get, and I know I'm not supposed to refer to my age, but I do. I'm in my study. Oh, what a, if I could only, my dear brother Will, may this be the case for you. I have my study, and I love you, but the only reason my phone is in that study is so I can get the Trinity Psalter hymnal tunes if I need them. Then the phone goes away. There's no computer because I want three people in that study. Actually, I want five people in the study, but one is me. Number two are my teachers in those books, and that's what I regard them as. You know, you say, well, well, the preacher is so bookish. Yeah, those are his teachers, and we all need teachers. But the, but the, the third, or the third, fourth, and fifth, are the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as much as I love you, I love him more. And every day I pray, Lord, I don't like to rush this. I don't like, I wish I would never stop. And my consolation is one day it won't. Okay, that's, that's glorious, that's glorious. Okay. It's glorious that in heaven it will be perfect joy, right? That your joy might be all filled up, nothing to sully that joy. Heaven will be, oh, this is a great one too, rest. Thank you, God, for rest. And, and I, for one, am very thankful now on the Lord's Day to be able to come home and get some rest. And, and, uh, because of, but, but you're still tired. <laughs> and rest, it'll be perfect rest and perfect sir. But it'll be perfect, perfect rest, perfect sir. Shalom. Perfect peace, grace and peace to you. In glory, grace will flower into glory. And peace will burst forth as the whole atmosphere of heaven. That's glorious. But you know what's most glorious? You'll be with the Lord. My biggest pain as I think of this life is not being with my wife as my wife. As I told you, I've come to accept that doctrinally. I will not, Margaret will not be my wife in heaven, but we will live together. <laughs> but I'm not going to lose the groom, Jesus. And that is, as I hope it is for you, that's my greatest desire. As Samuel Rutherford put it, the great Scottish theologian, the highest heaven would be the worst hell 
if Christ were not present. And I want you to chew on that. That's, that's not just flowery language. That is a profound doctrinal truth. Because without Jesus, there would only be hell for fallen people. And so Paul ends on this note. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. C.S. Lewis in the Narnia Chronicles. And, and folks, to your children, to your grandchildren, to yourself, read the Narnia Chronicles. But in, in, in the Narnia Chronicle, Prince Caspian, just read the cheap in it. But it was, the kids love it. But at one point, Lucy, Lucy and the, and the Pevensey children have, have uh, they've been learning through these experiences. And Lucy's speaking with Aslan, who represents Christ. And she says, Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. And Aslan responds, that's because you are older, little one. Lucy, not, not because you are? Aslan, I'm not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Isn't that beautiful? That's what glory is about, folks. Jesus, who is the very telos, the purpose of God's decree, that grace and mercy be manifested in him, that the worst of fallenness would be turned into the greatest of redemption. That's, that's what the world is all about. And you begin that now by just trusting in Jesus and walking with Jesus and making Jesus your life. You grow deeper every day as Jesus becomes bigger to you by his word. You do that by faith. One day, one day it will be by sight. And what we get now is just a sacrament at the Lord's Supper. A bit of sight and taste will be fully transformed. But eye is not seen nor ear heard the majestic glory of what God has prepared for those who love him. It won't be that Aslan's bigger, but that you've grown and you see more and more of his greatness. Wherefore, my beloved people, you comfort one another with these words. Let's pray. And our Lord, we do bless you for your goodness and for your glory. And we ask our God that you will cement these things into us, even as we prayed last week, uh, that the things of the end, the things of the beginning of new heavens and new earth, but above all the stuff of what our redemption is, we shall always be with the Lord. May that be what we live and move and have as our being. In Jesus, amen. Amen. amen.